0: Hello everybody. Today we are talking about everything you need to know on world building, part one of our curriculum for self-taught artists. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need here at ArtProf, critiques, tutorials, and professional development. This is a series of curriculums for self-taught artists that we have And there are many categories, illustration, drawing and painting. And the purpose of these curriculum streams is to provide an overview of a field so that you are aware of what's involved with the field. And we have several parts. Some parts have prompts, have specifics about art supplies and techniques. Let's start with writing which is a hard one because I think a lot of people associate world building as being an extremely visual thing, which it is. But Kat, why
1: is the writing so important for
0: world building?
1: Writing is important because it really lists out the logical things behind a story because you can't just have cool flashy images without some sort of structure to it. And that's where writing comes in. For instance, these are images from my comic Mama Bruja, and a lot of it had to focus on the writing because a big aspect of the story is this diaspora that the character experiences between her Mexican-American culture and her American culture. And so Spanish was really important in this story. It was very, it was a key part of the story and I had to write it down. I could not just rely on just drawings for this story.
0: Jordan, you told me that for you, the writing portion is almost bigger than the visuals in some ways.
2: Yeah. Well, we're specifically referring to shadow boxers. I think that it's hard for me to understand what it is I'm going to create if I don't know the world intimately. And because my story is pretty big, there's you know stuff that ha- there's lore to it. There's you know different political things happening. There's different religious things happening. There's different abilities. I have to understand all of that stuff before I can even get to episode one. And if I don't have that set up, then I'm going to get lost at some point down the line and it's going to become a mess. And I want to avoid that as much as possible.
0: Tell us in the chat who here has interests in world building, who here is building a world right now, and who here, like me, doesn't know anything about world building but is extremely curious because this really is so in-depth. And for me, the most complex version is probably Lord of the Rings where Tolkien invented languages and It's just so involved. And really, if you don't have a story, it's like you don't have anything. Because, Kat, I do think people get very wrapped up in the visuals. And oftentimes, the writing doesn't get the attention
1: it needs. It's difficult because people do want to focus on the things they're genuinely interested in. And for a lot of artists, it's creating the visuals. But the visuals cannot exist without some structure. And that's where the writing comes in. That's where the world building comes in. Let's
0: talk about story and setting. Jordan, why does it matter that Ponyo from Miyazaki is set in the ocean, and why the Roadrunner is in the middle of the desert?
2: Okay, well, I've never seen Ponyo, so I can't speak for that one. But (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sorry. (laughs) but I've seen many Looney Tunes episodes, and really, um, the story of Roadrunner is that it's a coyote chasing a roadrunner and that's it. He never catches them. That's the whole shtick. And it just it just works. And they are able to have so many things happen in this small setting and it's consistent. Ponyo, I'm sure, has a very similar kind of thing where the story is based in the world that I'm seeing on the screen here. Although Kat could be better at explaining that. (laughs) But really it's just the essence of you know it's part of your story. You need to have something concrete to Give your audience so that they can understand what's happening, uh, that they can understand the characters motivations, the technology that you're giving them, the environments that they're going to be in. It all depends on story and the setting.
0: And sometimes the setting has a lot to do with culture. Like hat, the triplets of Belleville is set in France. Why is that different than if it's set in Spain?
1: Well, The Triplets of Belleville is actually set in France, in a rural countryside, and then in the metropolis of New York, America. And so what is very specific about these two locations is sort of like the world is different from one area of the film to the other. And part of that is the whole point of the film, where the character goes from one extremely different world into extremely different land. And that's part of the adventure and part of this character's growth. And sometimes people
0: think, oh, well, it needs to be such a beautiful, sweeping setting. But some places, like Family Guy, it's just boring suburbia in America. (laughs) Let's talk about genre and target audience. Because there's this wonderful, I think, almost explosion of graphic novels. So this is Smile. And it's about a girl and all her horrific braces, teeth problems. And it's funny, my kids were obsessed with these books when they were in about third grade. And now they don't read them anymore. So Jordan, why does the target audience matter so much?
2: I think it's important for the artist or the writer to understand who it is that they're talking to. For example, if I'm a teacher, I would speak to a kindergarten class very differently than I would speak to my college class. I would share with them different things. I would go in depth on certain things versus the other class. So you just have to know who your core group of people um, is that you're trying to reach and see what it is that they're interested in. Uh, Maybe there's a certain genre, maybe they're into science fiction, maybe they're into fantasy, maybe they're into Captain Underpants like I was as a seven-year-old. And so, depending on the story you want to tell, it would be, be better suited for you to find that specific group of people who would be most interested in that project.
0: Because Kat, as an artist, you don't have to please everybody. In fact, I think that's not a good approach when
1: it comes to world building. What do you think? It is, in fact, impossible to please everybody in the world because everyone has different tastes and interests. And the key to building your own world is you do have to find your people. You have to find the people in which you want to communicate to because it's kind of really sad to create a whole world and not be understood. I think part of world building is community in the story and out of the story. And so it's all about finding that community, the people who are interested in your world. Uma Sharda says,
0: can you be in a visual to spark world building? Jordan, I'm sure things you encounter in everyday life must impact how you build your world. Oh,
2: yeah. oh definitely. There's a slide we just had a couple seconds ago from Urban's that inspired Shadow Boxers. Just the, uh, you guys might have seen it, have the, the guy break dancing and doing, and do, had all the glowing colors. And I saw that when I was 18. I was like, that's what I want. I don't know what that is, but that's what I want. And I took that little bit of inspiration. Yeah, this slide right here. And I was like, I'm going to take this and build a whole project based off of it. And the worlds are not similar at all. Um, their clothing might be, but that's about it. <laughs> and I was able to build something that I was really passionate about. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing anything like that.
0: Victoria says, I want to become an environment concept artist eventually. It took me a long time to figure out how to get there. I need to learn to depict the world around me before making something out. Absolutely. The world is your inspiration, everything. You could see a pair of shoes and be like, oh my gosh, that would be exactly what I need for my character. So I would recommend everybody, keep your eyes peeled because inspiration doesn't just come from art books. It comes from everyday life. Now, some of you may not know what TV is, so I think I'm gonna explain it to you. TV is where you have a series And there is a character like Aaron Tveit (laughs) Graceland, who I'm so obsessed with right now. Oh, my God. I watched, like, four episodes yesterday. So that's what TV is, in case nobody here knows what I'm talking about. Oh, my God. You (laughs) guys. Oh, my God. (laughs)
2: That was an excellent description.
0: Yes. Good example. Okay. But he doesn't count for world building because he's a real person. Why is it here? (laughs) Because some people may not know what TV is. Uh And, you know, we need to be clear in our explanations. (laughs) All right. So, Jordan, I think most people here grow up with some form of TV. I did not grow up with Powerpuff Curls, but my kids did. Mm -hmm. And there is something incredibly impactful about engaging with these stories at an early age, like for you and Avatar. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think... um... I, the, well, first of all, there are two types of shows. There's Episodic, which is every episode is completely different. That's a show like Powerpuff Girls or Spongebob or Invader Zim. Or as you have shows that are serialized like Avatar, which is one story told throughout the entire show. And some do it better than others. I know there's a lot of people in the anime community that get frustrated at a certain point when it's like 8,000 episodes. But, those, but there's so much you can attach to on those types of shows. And you can find a lot of really great story and character elements. You can become really attached to that world and those characters and that that whole universe that they're creating. And it's personally my favorite form of world building.
1: Kat, what were your favorite TV shows growing up? (laughs) Well, when I was in middle school, I did go through a Naruto phase. So I watched a lot of Naruto, an insane amount of it. I think I did finish the comic, but I did not finish the anime. Something else I was really inspired by was... Metal Alchemist. I mean, a lot of Japanese animes and mangas I really consumed a lot of when I was younger.
0: Miriam says, on your note about building a community around the world you create, how would you go about building that group? It's much easier to join a community that's already built. I mean, we have a community right here. All of you are an integral part of our content. And Jordan, I know you're building your following for Shadowboxers. You've got a great group of fans that watch you every Sunday on the live stream.
2: Yeah, so I I think, honestly, I try not to force it. Um, I just invite people to see what I'm working on. And I think eventually you'll find people who have the same interests as you, whether or not just getting engaged in your story specifically, and they have no interest in writing their own, or you find a group of people who are trying to do something similar to you and you guys were able to bounce off each other, which I think is really beneficial too.
0: Let's talk about games. My kids gave my husband a shirt that at first glance says, I love my wife, but there's little letters that say, I love it when my wife lets me play video games. And so I'm that wife. (laughs) (sighs) And I I don't really know about the world of games because I didn't grow up with this. I mean, we were playing Pac-Man in the 80s. And Kat, I've read somewhere that games are a bigger industry than movies now.
1: Well, I'm also kind of in the same boat as you, Clara, in that I didn't grow up with a lot of games. But one game that I did play, I mean, it wasn't part of my identity, but I definitely did play this one game called Journey. And it's such a beautiful game. I think it was, that's exactly it. Wow, it's in this like, I mean, it's in, I think it's for the computer and also the PS2 or 3 or something. But I played it at a friend's home and I was just astounded by the world I saw and how I could interact with the world. And so it brought a totally different level of immersion when playing this game versus when I'm passively watching a film. Tell us in the chat, what is your relationship with gaming. Do you do it all
0: the time? Are you like me and baffled why people play games? Jordan, I think you did grow up with games, right?
2: Yeah, I grew up with games to to an extent. And then I stopped when I uh, got to college, but then I found my way back into it again as I graduate studying games and I'm a teacher at a in a game department. But the reason I think people love it is because the interaction is so much deeper than like cats at a movie or a film or a movie or a show. Because when you're playing a game you're experiencing it every every person's experience will be completely different you know if, if all three of us play the same game like uh like journey or uh y- y- whatever it is you're all going to have completely unique experiences and learn new things about our characters and by ourselves even so it's it's really really interesting and unique in that way
0: Thank you so much to Ameris and also Amanda, who says Full Metal Alchemist. See, Jordan, you got to get on it. A thousand subs. Thank you, everybody. For your wonderful support. Let's talk about film. Oh, my gosh, the gigantic, huge field. And I just am blown away by how anything ever gets made. I mean, this is an illustration concept art for Star Wars, but then putting it together amazes me that people can organize. I I sometimes think like, oh my gosh, somebody's the accountant. Somebody has to pay these people. Like we're not even talking about the actual scene and what's happening in the logistics and everything. So Kat, I think similar to games, films have always been a part of our lives. They continue to be, and film has changed so much because when I was a kid, you went to the movie theater. There was no streaming. There's no Amazon or Netflix. And so, Kat, what's your take on how these formats evolve and how they maybe change the way worlds are built?
1: I think they evolve with whatever tools are available for the time. I mean, film was that's such an incredible tool coming from something before, which is static images or spoken word stories. Suddenly you could have moving image stories. And of course that would change the whole landscape of storytelling. When it comes to watching a film, I just am blown away by how much of a human feat it is to even accomplish having a film done. Because as you said, Clara, it is a group effort You do not make a film and have it be a one-man army situation. You have to have an army. (laughs) You have to have a group of people coming together, passionate, driven, and intentional in order to complete a film. Lisa says,
0: I feel like it'd be good if you can answer grounded questions for your world. How do they eat? What does a bathroom look like? Absolutely. So Jordan, what would Javen have for lunch?
2: Uh, no, he probably had like a hoagie or something like that. He's a big old sandwich, I think. Um, and you know, and pro- oh, and he'd have some sort of chips or, or fries on the side too. Um, but I, I would say this: when it comes to answering those types of questions, I would, me personally, I like answering questions that are really going to uh, to determine how my story plays out. So things like instead of what he likes to eat or what bathrooms look like, I would say, what are his childhood traumas? Or what are, no, seriously, like, I know Kat just laughs at that, but like, realistically, those things affect us, you know? And I think the older we get, the more we experience life and we see how much those types of experiences from when we were seven years old really change us as a person. And everyone has a story like that, either either trauma or triumph or whatever it is. And I like to answer those first. And then I get to the place where I'm like, okay, his bathroom's green, his bathroom's (laughs) blue, you know?
0: Another format is comics. Kat, that is your area. And I really think people underestimate the complexity and depth of comics. And it's just such a huge undertaking, like drawing all those panels, all the pages. Some of these comics are epic in a way. And the world building is told differently, I suppose, because of the panel format, like here with little, Little Nemo by
1: Winsor McKay. Absolutely. I was just saying that a film takes a world of people to build, but when it comes to a comic, it, that really is a one-person endeavor. And the reason people underestimate it is because people don't see the behind the scenes of a film versus a comic. When it comes to a comic, the creator is a whole film set. The creator is a character designer, is a background designer, is a prop designer, is a lighting master, the Comic creator is everything when it comes to the comic. And so there's only one person in charge of building this world. And that person has to be responsible in depicting the world. And so for me, that is the largest difference between the comic and a film or a series or a game. And I also think it's a lot of research
0: to figure mm-hmm. out the places, the outfits, like in Sin City, Jordan, we have this guy in this overcoat, and I sort of doubt all the costumes were just out of somebody's head. Yeah.
2: I mean, if you're going to have such a big endeavor as to create a graphic novel, you have to have planned things beforehand, at least that's, I think, the smartest way to go about it. I'm sure there's someone who's not done that, and they turned out okay, but I don't know who that is. Um, and but, but yeah, you have to think about these things on a very deep level. Daniel intimately because once you put it in print, it's very hard to change some of those things, especially after you've worked on a drawing for 20 plus hours or whatever the standard number is. And you don't underestimate the work it takes, but I do think it would be worth it in the end. Once you see that finished product, just like with a film or a show.
0: You can get called out if you have (laughs) the wrong architecture, if you didn't do your research and you're showing a very shallow generic version. And so specificity is extremely important. Instead of just saying, oh, they live in a city, say they are living in Madrid. Don't get so general because that's when I think you lose people in the story. Characters, they are the heart and soul of what happens in a world because they live in this world and we see how they interact with things And characters, oh my gosh, they're so hard to do well, because I've watched a lot of movies where a character dies and I'm like, eh, whatever. But (laughs) some characters, I mean, I have TV shows and things where I bawled my eyes out. And so Kat, how do we build that empathy for a character, that connection?
1: Well, it's all about the story about where this person comes from, who they are, and what they will be in the future. And so when you are invested in a character, you should take it as you are invested in another person. Because all of these characters are based on a bunch of other people characteristics. So they would be considered as human as you or me.
0: Absolutely. I think character design, so many people do it which is great, but it's really hard to do well. Jordan, do you find that people underestimate what's involved with inventing a character?
2: All the time. I think uh, this is how I, I see most of the mistakes that people make when it comes to character design. If you split up that word or that phrase character design, people usually spend their time on the design portion, making it look cool, giving them cool powers, giving them cool hair or costumes or whatever. They forget all about character, meaning who is this person? And that's kind of, it kind of goes back to what I said about the childhood traumas or, you know, how did they, what was their family upbringing like? What is their journey? What is their, were their hopes and their dreams? And you have to embed that in your character design as much as possible. And that's where, again, story and writing come into play. And uh, I mean, story, when it comes to world building, I think story is king. You, you cannot, if you have a good story to build off of, chances are you'll be able to create a good design. If the story's not as strong, then the designs are not going to be as strong.
0: Ratz says, how do you feel about self-insertion into characters? Well, this is Calvin and Hobbes, which I grew up with. And the father character, after reading Bill Watterson's self-reflections, he has this book where he explains his process. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's the dad. Exactly. So from us we are in these characters do you find that's the case for your comics in a way
1: absolutely i mean anything i write anything i draw comes from me so it will be a part of me as well that's inevitable i can't make something that's not me because i'm making it but i think it's also really good to understand where do i draw the line between this is the character and it adopts they adopt other characteristics in the world versus what is a part of me. I think as people draw and write more in their worlds and their stories, they might discover things about themselves. They will discover things about themselves. And that's definitely been the case for me for my comic nostalgia. And I'm sure that's also been the case for you, Jordan, with shadow boxers. The more you mine from yourself, the more you discover about yourself. So self-insertion is good, but I think you should also be very aware of when you do it. Mm -hmm. Sonnet says, I
0: think you build connection to characters when the character is relatable. And sometimes what I think is extraordinary is it's a character that is so far from who I am, I feel like it's the last character I would understand their point of view, but I think really good characters get us to do that. We get a connection with a character was nothing like us. And in some ways that gets us to experiment, to experience another part of the world that maybe we have no connection to previously. Creatures. These are so much fun. I know, Jordan, you are creating all kinds of creatures. And this is where you really got to do your visual research. I've had people say to me, well, I want a dragon, but there's no dragons in the world. So I have to copy this person's dragon illustration. But Jordan, if I want to design a dragon, what do I look at?
2: Well, first off, look at actual animals that exist. Um, there's so many. And I feel like every time I'm on a stream here on Art Prof or when I'm in class or something, there's always a new animal I learn about um, and some that I can't even pronounce to this day. Capybara. Precisely. Like, exactly. I knew you were going to do go there. I knew it. <laughs> um, so situations like that are really great for studying. And then um, you know, looking and studying other artists who came before you. What is it that they were able to do and pull off that can inspire you? And then, obviously, we all have our own likes and dislikes and uh, and tendencies when it comes to creating anything, whether it's characters or creatures, and you can use that to your advantage as well. And then the world you're building. What does the world consist of? Is it more fantasy? Maybe it would be inclined to have more dragons, or maybe you have some sort of... um, biotech robot creature or something like that. I, I don't know. You, that's where the fun comes in. That's where you can be really creative.
0: And I do find, Kat, that oftentimes creature design, people think about it as this old oh, lever dragon with 18 heads and all these crazy skills. But I love Moomin. Such mm. a simple character. And so complicated isn't always better.
1: Absolutely. I mean... I think that the creator for Moomin, Tov Jansen, also looked to the real world. What makes a pet attractive or what makes a certain animal attractive? It's not going to be the fact that it grows 10 horns out of its head or it has like eight legs or scales and fur, but more like, I like this round shape. I think that's very attractive. And why not just have that in your creature design?
0: Thank you so much for the super sticker. Victoria, The super stickers help us so much, everybody. Every single piece matters. And I think sometimes it's tricky because there are really stereotypical animals, creatures, like dragons. Most of us know what that is. But Jordan, what are these creatures? Like, I don't know what they are.
2: I, I don't know why you asked me. I certainly don't know. I mean, <laughs> they look like... <laughs> They look like they have some sort of fin as ears, red eye. I mean, it looks like it looks like they put a bunch of descriptions on name on a piece of paper, put them in a hat, and just pulled out things and said, give them this, 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 and this, and just drew it, um, which could very well be the case. That might be a good idea for creature design, um, So, yeah, I don't know what those things are.
0: <laughs> and there's sometimes creatures that people interpret over and over and over again. Gollum from Lord of the Rings. And I think, cat, sometimes that history of a creature is very inspirational, but you also have to live up to something.
1: Oh, absolutely. It must be such a huge pressure to redesign Lord of the Rings. I mean, recently I saw this cover series by Brian Selznick. He redrew the Harry Potter covers. I can't imagine how much pressure that is, honestly, because Harry Potter is this enormous thing. People would be expecting a lot from you and also expect you not to deviate too much from the original content. But there's another thing that I want to point out when it comes to creatures and character designs. Sometimes, like with the blue figures, with the fins for years, it's a little difficult to differentiate character from creature. And I think that we put things in categories just because it's simpler. Oh, a creature is an animal and a character is a human. Well, what if you have something that's sort of human-like? Or what if you have something that's creature-like? There are going to be liaisons between the two categories. We have categories to make things simple, but it really isn't that simple. So any rules that apply to designing a character would also apply to designing a creature and vice versa
0: props and weapons. These are the types of things that people overlook because we're so into the characters. But props and weapons can make a character. Like, for example, Kat, you
1: have all these antique objects. Why are these important to your story, Kat? I mean, the world is set in an antique shop. And what kind of shop would it be without antiques? I think the difficult thing about world building is that you really have to consider every aspect from the environment, to the weather, to the character, to the creatures, to the outfits, to the food, to the props. And it's hard because these are things we can overlook. When we live in a world, we don't think twice about, oh, what would the bathroom look like? We just,
0: we just have it
1: <laughs> and we use it. But when it comes to building a world, suddenly you have to be very aware of answering all of those questions. For example,
0: this chair that Morpheus is sitting in. Why does this chair matter in the story, Jordan?
2: It's the scene where Morpheus gives Neo that choice of the red or the blue pill. And this chair sort of, it's sort of, morpheuss is, I don't wanna say thrown in a way, but it's just a big moment in the story, probably uh, the moment where everything else in the movie depends on the scene. and. The way I look at props, chances are there's going to be way more props in your project than characters. I mean, think about it. Even if you live by yourself in an apartment or a house or something, there's more objects in the house than you as a person. So things are going to be – you're going to be surrounded by things. And like Kat was mentioning, you have to really consider the time period, the world, the uh, the personal interests of a person, the you know the story behind it, and make things interesting. And that's not always easy when it can't talk or move. Yeah.
0: Look at this scene by Craig Thompson in a comic. Does everybody see how you don't see the entire space? Okay, but these items on the table tell us it's a diner because we see ketchup bottle and salt and sugar and stuff like that. So we don't have to see the diner, but the props make that very clear in terms of the storytelling. For example, Kat, this comic is all about food. And so the food is critical to the story.
1: Right. And I think you can definitely push and pull the importance of certain things in a story. Sometimes in a world, the props are really important. For instance, when I have an antiques shop, of course, there has to be antiques. That's pretty important. But perhaps for... Jordan's Shadow Boxers series, maybe it's not so important to have a focus on the statues and the jewelry and all of that. It's great to have there, it's good to consider it, but more importance is probably on the characters and their autonomy in the story. So it really depends on the story of what is more important in a world.
0: All right, let's talk about power and magic system, which by the way, Sana brought up earlier, like, for example, if there's gravity, does there always have to be gravity? Do the laws of gravity apply to everyone and timing? Well, Jordan, you have a very complicated power system and you have figured out every single nuance within this power system, right?
2: Yeah, so, so this is how I put it. I did not originate these terms that I'm about to use. You have hard rule building or magic systems and soft magic systems. Hard basically means that it's very concrete and you cannot deviate from these rules. Avatar Last Airbender will be an example of that, where an airbender can only bend air, waterbender can only bend water, and there's certain rules to that. A soft magic system might be something like Harry Potter, where things can kind of just be made up at a certain point when it's convenient for the story, and there's varying levels in between that. And you can determine what works best for your project, but again, it goes back to the story, it goes back to the uh, specific world you're building, and every one of them can be suitable for every story, depending on what it is you're trying to
0: say. Lisa says, I can see getting too caught up in details that don't matter. Absolutely. Kat, is there such a thing as too much information in a world?
1: Yeah, there is. And it's really difficult because there are things that people are genuinely very excited about. I have this friend who, um, I love her and I love her stories. So <laughs> I need a preface with that. But sometimes she gets like so, so, so in depth that it loses me. Like, I don't really care about what they have for breakfast. I don't really care about the quality of the clothes they wear. But I do care about who they are as a person and what they will do in the future in the story. And so when you are very excited about something, I think it's also a good strategy to step back and say, well, does this serve the larger purpose of the story? Would this inform the story in a critical way? And I think that's something that people really need to understand and not lose sight of. Vehicles. Jordan, didn't you almost feel when you were
0: designing Kayla's hoverboard, you were almost an industrial designer?
2: Yes, so that's the thing about being concept art you have to be a little bit of everything. So in this case, I had to be part engineer. I've never took an engineering class or been to a workshop or anything like that, but I had to try and think like an engineer to create this hoverboard. And the idea was that it would extend and uh, retract when she's ready to use it. And it would also be magnetized to a backpack that she wears. Um, And then her powers are involved in that too. And so that took a lot of thought because I had to figure out what would make sense. How do I make sure it extends and retracts in a way that that works and doesn't... uh, lose the viewer's uh, suspension of disbelief um, and practicality and all that stuff. So there's a lot that goes into it and you almost don't see it on the final page, but at the same time, I know what I put into it and I'm happy with it. So that's, that's just kind of the name of the game at a certain point.
0: And Kat, there's a real range of vehicles. Like for example, here in Star Wars, this is pretty complicated and it doesn't look like anything in the real world. But in the case of Spider-Man, I should have asked you, Jordan, that's okay. we have a subway uh-huh. and a subway is a real thing. And yet you do have to almost design the subway, <laughs> Kat, don't you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. It All goes back to the believability of the world. And I think that's another thing we could talk about for magic systems and props and all of everything. It's like, is it believable in this world? Would this make sense? Because once you lose that believability structure, suddenly you're kind of in the ethos and you're just telling people like, please care about my world, care about my story. And then the other people will be like, but it doesn't make sense. It has to make sense. And the vehicles are true too. So for in Star Wars, these are vehicles that are unrecognizable, but that makes sense because we don't live in an actual Star Wars world. But when it comes to Spider-Man, that is a city we recognize. So we should see a metro or a subway that we do visually recognize.
0: Good point from Seven Angelica says, finding that line of suspension of disbelief is tricky but important. I have definitely watched movies. I'm like, yeah, totally. Pigs are the equivalent of a horse. I totally get that. Other times I'm like, really? That's so dumb. And so people have very different reactions and it's up to you to build that suspension of disbelief, architecture. Jordan, you've been doing a lot of architectural design for shadow boxers.
2: Yeah, and it's very challenging. Uh, part of the reason is because the buildings that I want to create don't appear very often in our world as it exists. And so trying to find a way to suspend the viewer's disbelief and make it make sense for the world, that I'm building, and also just come out. Of completely with random stuff is a challenge Um, plus i'm not a huge fan of drawing environments in general so i have to teach myself to like it (laughs) so um so there's a lot there but again just like props environments can do so much with telling the story i mean if you watch i don't know something like breaking bad or um any pixar movie they will have the environments be so powerful that it just tells the story for you it doesn't need dialogue half the time
0: Cat, I find the tone of the story. Do you see that in films and movies? How much the architecture influences the emotions?
1: Uh, you were fading in and out, but I think I got the last oh, part of sorry. what you were asking. Okay. I mean, I was asking about, I'll I'll answer it. It's okay. okay. So I do think that everything that you put into a story is intentional, even things that are not animated, even things that are not alive, they will still be something that drives a story. There will be something that humans, us, the viewers will inject our own emotions and intentions into. And so when you have static things like architecture or props or the environment, I don't know, all of these things can be used by the creators in order to tell the story. So architecture can be emotional. Props can be emotional.
0: Thank you so much for the super stickers on it. Who asks, is it true that with dialogue, everything said should be something that drives the plot forward. So you've got to be picky about what you have your character say. Jordan, what's your take?
2: Um, I don't know if it necessarily has to drive the plot forward, but I think it should um. Something that we did not know before. I think there needs to be a purpose to it. So maybe it reveals something about who that character is. Maybe it's something about what they want out of life. Maybe something that they fear. Maybe um, uh, it it could be any number. Maybe the fact that they have a long lost child, whatever. But I think you need to be very specific and picky, like you mentioned, because otherwise you're just kind of wasting your time and wasting viewers' time. So and even if it's a joke, you can use a joke to drive the plot forward. There's nothing wrong with that. And the best writers are able to merge all of those things together.
0: Yeah, like when Doctor Strange talks to his his honey, you know, and you realize, oh, my gosh, she's such a jerk, like she's not putting up with this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Environments can be different things. Landscapes. Oh, my gosh, there is such a world of this. And sometimes the landscapes are totally invented. Like this one from Fantastic Planet. And Kat, what's going on here in this manga?
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that this is an image from Berserk by the late Kentaro Miura. Rest in peace. But all of these landscapes are integral to the story itself. So if you have a fantastical world, then you must have a fantastical landscape. If you have a fairy tale world, have a fairy tale landscape. Or if you have a believable story that's set in our world, then we should see landscapes that we would recognize in our world. Landscapes are tricky
0: because sometimes you have a landscape like this and we've seen mountains and cliffs and stuff like this, but Jordan, it's really stylized. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, that goes into your whole project. I mean, how do you want to style it too? That's the conversation, I guess, for another stream, but uh, depending on the way you, you stylize your project, that can really determine one, the demographic, uh, the genre, it could determine uh, how we feel about the characters. Because sometimes you look at a character and you're like, ugh, what is that? It's creepy, it's weird. <laughs> kind of like um, Aeon Flux, like the characters look a little odd. But then you could have something like, I don't know, Powerpuff Girls, where everything's super cute and friendly, and you know, and there's varying levels of that. So definitely have fun with those things.
0: Thank you, RB Dick. <laughs> We so much appreciate your support. Workshops, we're having so much fun with these. And we have two more workshops in April that you can still register for. Jelly Plate Experiments is this Saturday. And then Drawing Cats is at the end of the month. No Discord chat today. I'm going to the Bread Fairies for Easter brunch. So I'm going to be very busy with that. And Jordan, what's happening later today?
2: It has been a two-week hiatus on stream, so we're back today. Going to be doing some more world-building for shadowboxers. So hope to see you all there tonight, 6 p.m. Pacific time, on my channel, The Joe McVoe
0: Show. Join our Patreon group. That's where you get to share your art and weekly voice sessions with the staff. I provide critiques and a lot of support, which I don't do in the public channels. And most importantly, you find support in a small group of artists. Who's gonna sponsor this video? I have the studio, I got the model, I'm ready to shoot, but we need somebody to support this. So we do have information about that on the website. ArtProf has services you can purchase, artist calls, personal art curriculums, statement editing, portfolio critiques. Thank you to our wonderful top Patreon supporters. You have all been there for us and we would not be here without you. ArtProf has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And visit artprof.org. There is so much content there that's not on YouTube. Use the search bar. Subscribe for more art tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Thank you, everybody, so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.